found church uh, before we get into the the message today I wanted to just share a couple of quick announcements uh, God has really just been impressing on my heart that that this is actually a real opportunity to galvanize our church to strengthen the core of our community that that God has already started to bring together and with that I would like to encourage our people to to be reaching out to at least 10 people that you know have been in our church. Uh, maybe you've invited the church and they've come. And so we want them to know, we want all of our people to know that, that it's, not, it's just not about us individually. It's about this whole body together. And so I, I just want to encourage you, reach out to at least 10 people. And maybe next week, reach out to 10 other people. And just let them know that they are part of this family, that they are being thought of, that they are being prayed for. Maybe you can, maybe you can ask them if they have any needs. And, and really be a part of the hands and feet of Jesus within this body. And it's also an opportunity to reach outside of this body. People that you've been maybe even wanting to invite to church or into a fine group, and you could ask them to join us online, or you can reach out to them and make sure that they don't have any needs. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about is, is just, if you didn't already know, we have canceled every one of our public gatherings, short of our fine groups. If you still want that option, you can, you can still feel free to meet. Um, but because of that, we wanted to take this opportunity to give you a platform to reach into each other's lives. And so we've created a Facebook group called Found Church Community. And we'd ask that you hit the link and join that page because you'll, it'll be a private page that you'll maybe feel a little bit more confident to share some of your needs, share some of your encouragements. Maybe you can share the prayers that God's put on your heart for our church and um, maybe even share some testimonies. I think it'll be a real uh, amazing place where, where we can grow closer with each other, get to know each other a little bit better. So click the link, join the page, and then I would also encourage you to invite people into this page. Uh, it'll be a real beautiful place where we can actually enjoy each other's community. And uh, it'll place, be a place where we can really love on each other. So I'd encourage that. Uh, let's, let's join together today in worship. And uh, again, we're just so thankful you're here.
As you probably know by now, Luke 9.51 tells us, As the time came for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Other interpretations of scripture state, As the time was right, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. What this suggests to us is that for Jesus, and subsequently for his followers then and now, it's go time. It's time to stop playing games here. It's time to do what we came to do. But his followers, they still weren't quite on the same page. They didn't quite grasp what that vision was yet. And I think to myself, maybe we still struggle to grasp what that vision is already as well. Their, their resolution of life beyond the cross, it wasn't yet clear. And this is proved by the evidence soon to follow in that most of his followers, they would eventually fail him in their resolutions to follow him wherever he would go. Do you ever wonder, with all that we can now recognize in our 2,000-year hindsight, why does this still hold true for us today? Why are we so bad at follow-through? Not just in our New Year resolutions or our resolutions of life, but our spiritual resolutions. Did you, did you know that research has actually proven now that not following through with the things that we say we are going to do, it actually causes brain damage? Which means all those New Year's resolutions that only last a month or a week or, or even a day, or all those times that we tell our kids that we're going to play with them tomorrow and then we don't, or all of those addictions or habits that, that we kick for a week or so and then two weeks later we're back at it, each and every one of those, they actually hurt us psychologically and physically. Every time we break a resolution, our resolve, it becomes less and less each and every time we tell ourselves, this time we've got this. Why do we still, even spiritually speaking, tend to set out for Jerusalem with great resolve in our minds, and yet when things get real, we tend to turn back to that old thing or that old way of life? And even in our current world circumstances, it's so easy for us to quickly turn to fear. And then our faith in God's provision and his protection turns into an every man for himself mindset. Jerusalem, in this case, it, it represents a letting go of the old things in our lives. It represents a turning away from our version of life and trusting in his version of life. It is a very real parallel to repentance. It represents a faith that transcends current realities in order to produce a new reality. The evidence of our faith as a societal whole is that we are looking to the things of the world, the governments of the world, the markets of the world, even the provisions of the world to, to find our confidence to find our peace, to find even our value, particularly. But God says, we're just looking at dead things. We're looking at things that will all eventually pass away. Jesus says in Revelation, I am making all things 
new. The truth is, as we suggested last week, Jesus didn't come to make an old thing better. He came to make all things new and to bring dead things to life. And we so often think that life with God is simply about him giving us better things. Or somehow if, if we add Jesus into our lives that we might be happier or healthier or wealthier. But Jesus didn't come to make an old thing better. He came to make dead things come to life. And scripture says we are dead in our transgressions. We are dead in our iniquities. I was just reading in Luke the other day, and I found myself in chapter 12. And, and it says this in verse uh, 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more important than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith! And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them already. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reality is, is we are looking at an historical event. But just so you know, this historical event, as with every other historical event in the entire world in its in its completion, it is all under the authority of the name Jesus Christ. The last couple of Sundays, now, we've, we've talked a little bit about Mary and Martha. And the truth is, this is playing out for us in real life, in real time. We are finding ourselves in a similar place of choosing. We can choose a posture of fear and positioning ourselves to be concerned over many things as Martha was, or we can choose to position ourselves to the posture that looks to the one who has that authority over these circumstances. And yet at the same time, quietly speaks into our hearts, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You see, our posture, it means everything. It means everything. What we set our face to, it means everything. Repentance, it has always been about the posture of our hearts. 
The resolution of what we see, it dramatically changes our resolutions to, to what we do. And if what we see as we're looking at the world that we supposedly trust in and it's falling apart, we're just going to add, our fear and panic is just going to add to the chaos and the noise of it. But if what we see is the Father whom we trust in, who because of our posture, not because of our work, but because of our posture is pleased with us, that reality, by faith, produces a new reality in our heart, which is peace in the storm. It's joy in the tragedy. It's love transcending the conflict. In our hearts, it produces the kingdom of heaven that will always stand. Even in the midst of the kingdoms of this world notoriously failing yet again to produce life in us all because of posture jesus he set his face to his father but he knew he first had to go through the cross and his posture this is a this is an important point it was also of that of a son whom his father was well pleased in which gives him the resolution and so he marches on, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And so do we. But for this leg of our journey, we actually need to go to a different account of the Gospels. So I just want to point you to John chapter 11. This is one of those texts that is actually meant to turn our world upside down. Maybe this text is for one of those times, just like today, when our worlds have been turned upside down so that we can actually see the kingdom of God finally right side up. That's the resolution of life beyond the cross. So I want to first read this text for you in John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's the second time he said he's loved them. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Now let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by the world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I am going there to wake him up. His di disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples, though 
uh, thought he meant natural sleep. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went on to him. And now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, they noticed how quickly she got up and went out. And so they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he said. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of, the, some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you, for you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but I said this not for my benefit, for, but for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Father, I just want to thank you 
for this incredible opportunity that we have today to, to reach into our farm church community, to reach into the community of Jackson or, or those that are watching on Facebook or Instagram. God, I pray today that you would penetrate their hearts. I pray that they would encounter you in a very real way, that hope would rise up in their hearts, that peace would rise up in their hearts, that joy would rise up in their hearts today, that they would walk out of the tomb today free, that the chains would fall off. God, we pray over this word. We pray that you would remove any of my influence and that yours would come through. God, we thank you again for today. We thank you for who you are and what you have done so that we could be in your presence today. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's get going. It's fitting in a time like this, I think. This message, although it's been adapted based on what God's Word has been speaking into my heart, but this message today it is for this moment in history. Not to suggest that this will be one of those messages that everyone will hear and remember for centuries to come. No, I think actually it'll be just the opposite. I say today, literally, it might be only for your heart today. One of the most widely asked questions about God is why do bad things happen? Maybe even uh, more challenging to answer is why do bad things happen to good people? And so I titled this message and, and felt led to preach on this storyline actually months ago, before all of this started to unfold. And, and it's really only in these last couple weeks that I've been able to see God's providence in it. And I titled this message, This One's Gonna Be a Stinker. Uh, I think we are all now finally able to realize how much these next couple of months are just really gonna stink. And, and so I think it will be fitting for today. So, but here we go again, talking about Mary and Martha. But now there's another character in the plot, a sick brother named Lazarus. Now, over the last few years, clearly, Jesus has had a history with this family. We hear multiple times that, that Jesus loves Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Did, did you hear that? Can you maybe even relate to that? Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And yet in verse 5, in um, verse 6 actually, he learned that Lazarus was sick. And, and yet, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't sound quite like that love that we think is Jesus. That, it actually sounds more like indifference. And you could even make the argument, if, if Jesus actually didn't give us a glimpse of that higher resolution in that storyline... Uh, to see that story more clearly, you could make the argument that it was indifference. But in verse 4, Jesus, he gives us his thesis, the glory of God, and that God's Son would be glorified. Whoa. 
But I thought if God was for me, then who could be against me? You, you can align this story with so many realities in our lives, can't you? I mean, that relationship, that, that business deal, that job you didn't get, or, or in this current environment, that job that we could very easily all lose. He heard his good friend, who he loved, was sick. And he says, meh, let's wait a couple more days. Do you think maybe Jesus was just so chill in this moment because he knows that he is the stinking creator of the world? Do you think that maybe this moment was destined for his glory since before time even existed? I think that just might be truth right there. What are we looking at here? What, what are we looking at in our lives? I think, I think in this story, what we're looking at is, is the power walking in authority of his own making. Power, capital P, meaning Jesus, walking in his own authority of his own making. Now, outside of the, the straight-up comedy that is about to ensue in the conversations between he and his disciples... I can only imagine after they've waited for two days and Jesus said, okay, now let's go back to Judea. They were like, wait, what? Now you want to go back to Judea? What is wrong with this guy? First he wants to wait. Now he wants to go. Make up your mind, Jesus. We trust you, but you are really acting strangely. And on top of that, don't you remember, Lord, that Literally, just two weeks ago, we were in Judea, and they were trying to kill us. They were trying to stone you to death. What is wrong with this guy? Then, of course, here comes Mr. Positivity, and he chimes in. This this, uh, Thomas, the doubting Thomas, he chimes in with straight contemporary Christian rebuke. You know, the way that we rebuke people with this passive aggression because we just can't be direct. And so we like to label it sarcasm or cynicism. And so he says, all right, guys, come on. Let's all go back there so that we can die too. That sounds encouraging. Thank you, Jesus. This is going to be a great day for us. I think this has all the makings of a King of Queens episode. Because now you enter in Martha running out to G- to meet Jesus outside of the village, and she's just straight shouting him down. Jesus, if you were here, if you actually loved this man like you say you did, you would have kept him from dying because he's dead. I, I think she knew at that moment. I think the messengers that she sent on to Jesus actually probably brought him a message and brought her a message in return telling her that he's like, meh, I think we'll wait a couple more days. So I'm sure she was upset. But if you loved him, like you said, you would have healed him. Jesus knew. He understood the timing. In that culture, the understanding was 
that the human spirit could only dwell within a, a body for three days after death. And so Jesus, he wanted to ensure that that, that spirit was gone. He wanted to wait till that fourth day. Because this won't be mistaken for luck. This isn't going to be mistaken for bad gas or indigestion. This will be only known for one thing, the glory of God. So let us not think for one second that God is not in full control of the crisis that we're in today. He may not have caused it. He may not have arranged it. But one thing is for certain, the glory will be His. And trust me when I say that that glory is coming. The glory is on its way. Oh, the world, it is sick right now. And the jobs are on the ropes right now. And it might be a minute before you see your prayers answered. And it might be a minute before you see a return on your faith. But believe me when I say that God is just waiting to bring dead things to life. The support the life support of this world, it isn't the answer. There aren't any levels of government stimulus that's going to revive. It's going to be by the grace of God that dead hearts come alive in this. It will be by the grace of God that dead families come alive in this. It will be by the grace of God that dead relationships come alive in this because God says, when he says, Lazarus, come out, he's saying, you, you, us, we come out of this moment. This is where our dead lives get to come out revived, not just revived, but brought up in new life, dead things coming out of the tomb. Martha, he says, your brother will rise again. I know Jesus. I know I'll see him again. Well, what's her posture? Is it anger? Is it frustration? It sounds to me like it's disappointment. Now, this is real. Martha, Martha is showing the cards of her faith right now. Of course she believes Jesus is the Messiah. She believes that the, he is the Savior of the world. Of course we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We believe that he's the Savior of the world. But what's our posture? She even confirms that she'll, she believes that she'll see her brother again at the final resurrection. But her faith is short-sighted. I wonder, are we showing the cards of our faith in these moments too? Is our faith short-sighted in this moment? Don't get me wrong. This is as real as it gets for us. What's happening around us, it is so tragic. It is so catastrophic. And I am not even about to minimize the significance and the severity of how much this stinks for so many in the world around us, I hate it. I hate it. But what is our posture? What is the posture of our hearts right now? Martha, again, is proving that her resolution, it's much less than high def right here. She is believing to the point of this cross, maybe, the cross that has not yet come, but she's believing Jesus to the point, but not beyond it. And I wonder, that's maybe the tragic part of the story. 
Maybe that's part of the, the tragedy of this whole thing. Now, grief is a very real thing. And all of us, we have the freedom to grieve differently. We don't all grieve the same. But we're, we're not meant to grieve as those without hope. Not being able to buy toilet paper, well, that's a whole other message altogether, I suppose. Maybe one day God will give me a, a word for a message about Lazarus hoarding all the toilet paper in the tomb. I don't know. But he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Not just the resurrection. I am the life. And he who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she said. But maybe she still had poor resolution. Grieving, it isn't the absence of faith or some misunderstanding of God. I believe it's a part of the thing that we call love. It, pain of losing those close to us, it, it only goes to show you the evidence of our love. I believe grief to be one of the greatest gifts God has maybe given us in this world. And we can grieve many things in our lives. I think right now for most of us, there may be many of us that are actually grieving in our lives. For most of us, the reality is we might be grieving the life that once was only two or three weeks ago. And, and change is hard. We're, we're kind of in this period where, where we're trying to navigate a new normal. And it might actually come with loss. Loss of jobs or maybe loss of income or worse, loss of health or, or life even. But the glory of God is coming. We grieve not as those without hope, but as those with a higher resolution. Open the tomb, he says. Take away the stone. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Take away the stone. That grave is about to be emptied because that is why I've, what I've come to do. Glory is here. Power has come. Dead things, they are coming to life. But, but Lord, I'm pretty sure, um, you know, since, uh, since, I don't want to say this, but, since you kind of took so long to get here, this one's going to be a stinker. Martha, did I not tell you that if, if, this is a big if, that if you believed that you would be able to see the glory of God, do you think for a second that I'm a... I'm sitting here about to raise your brother from the dead. Do you think for a second that I care about his odor? Do you think for a second that I'm concerned about the way he smells? That only helps to bring my glory. Because when we think we stink, that is when God is ready to work. When we think our lives are rotting and our bodies are just hemorrhaging and falling apart and we have to wrap ourselves up in these grave clothes, that's when the glory is about to come. There is no 
mistaking God's power when the stink rolls out of that tomb. And he wants to wash us anyway. He wants to raise us from the dead anyway. That's when he does his work. There is no mistaking God's power when dead things are raised up. There is no mistaking God's power when graves are emptied. Because God says, I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what, what smell comes from your life. And I'm here to call it out. I'm here to call it out of you. I'm here to call you out of the tomb. I didn't come to just wash the stench off of you. I came to raise you from the dead. Now roll that stone away. So notice the posture of Jesus. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. Why? I mean, do we think that Jesus is, is here to play games with our lives? That he's somehow holding the strings to just watch us suffer a little bit? No. He, he knows that for the sake of the glory of God, the only way that heaven gets into our hearts is through new life, not just better life. That they might believe that you sent me, that I would be glorified. You see, when the posture is right, our resolution is right. Lazarus, come out! And while you're at it, take off all of that, that toilet paper. Why are you wearing that toilet paper? People need it desperately, especially today. This too, it shall pass for us. There are moments that I look at the news and I think about all the scenarios that, that could potentially play out. But again, we get the opportunity to look at the posture of our hearts. Is it to the trial or is it to the one who's bringing the glory? Is it to the fire, or is it to the one who, who sits in the fire with us? Is it, is it to the cross and the grave, or the one who robs the grave? Uh, Jesus didn't come to make old things just a little bit better for us. He came to make all things new. He came to bring dead things to life, that God would glorify his son, and, and that glory would radiate from our lives. Not only in the calm before the storm, like it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, but also in the storm itself that we find ourselves in today. Peace in the storm. Joy in the tragedy. Love transcending the conflict. In our hearts, it produces the kingdom of heaven that will always stand. And so for today, for tomorrow... And for our life everlasting, the glory of God is the highest resolution that we will ever see by. That it's the highest resolution that we will ever know. And the glory of God, even in the, the dose that we can handle, that we can even begin to understand in the kingdoms of this world, will change everything. That resolution of life beyond the cross, it determines and empowers our resolution with great hope. 
The glory of God came for Lazarus. He came for Lazarus. The glory of God, he is coming for you. Because he says, roll that stone away. Stench and all. Because you're coming out new. Father, I just thank you for today. God, I pray for all of those listening in this moment. That they would, that they would just set their face to you, Lord. That they would stop looking and setting their posture towards a world that will fail them yet again. That will, that will fail to satisfy their needs. Lord, I pray in this moment that they turn their face from this world to you, to Jerusalem, beyond the cross, Lord. That they would live in a higher resolution of resurrection. God, we thank you for today. I pray in this moment, if, those, if there are people in, in the world out there that might just run, that might just run across this post, that might just... That might just come across this, this online service, Lord, that their hearts would be changed, that their hearts would be bought, brought from dead things to life, that they would be called out of the tomb, Lord, that they would receive this new life. We love you today. We love you forevermore, God. And we just ask that you would move in the community of Found Church, that you would move in the community of Jackson, that you would heal hearts, that you would heal the grieving hearts of this world, and that you would give strength to the body of Jesus Christ, that we would be the hands and feet that we need to be to show this world the love of Jesus, the glory of God that is coming. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week. Perfect. Perfect.